0: In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, we've been looking at a message called The Anatomy of a Fall. We've watched David's fall, we've watched David's attempted cover-up, and now we're going to see the confrontation. Nathan the prophet comes to David, sent from the Lord, and those famous words ring through the halls of time, you are the man. We'll watch how David responds to that confrontation, and it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. A review, if you haven't been with us, in 2 Samuel 11, we saw David's famous fall. He saw a beautiful woman, He had a moment of decision, but he kept going down, taking the steps in an anatomy of a fall. So he sent, he inquired about her. He ultimately seized her, and he was with her. And she spoke those fateful words to David I am pregnant. And then in 2 Samuel 11, David went into a cover up mode. That was part two of our message. And David did everything he could to get Uriah off the battlefield to be with his wife so he could cover his sin. But Uriah was too honorable, much more honorable than David. David sunk so low that he even tried to get Uriah drunk to lose his inhibitions and be with his wife. But Uriah refused. And David sent a death warrant with Uriah. He carried a sealed letter back to the battlefield against the Ammonites, handed it to Joab. Joab read it, sent Uriah to the front of the battle lines, and Uriah was killed. The messenger came back, reported to David, told him that there were some casualties And oh, by the way, Uriah the Hittite is also dead. And David was like, well, you know, casualties of war and all of that. Tell Joab not to feel too bad about things. It's okay. These things happen. And it seems like it was the end of the story. Maybe David sat down on his throne and thought, you know what? I got away with that one. Everything's cool. He ends up marrying Bathsheba, takes her into his house, maybe even pretends to be a type of kinsman redeemer. Well, the poor woman, you know, she's married to a foreigner. There's no family in Israel, so I'll take her in. I'll take care of her. And he married her. But what David did, end of chapter 11, final verse, was evil in the sight of the Lord. God saw every move that David had made because everything is naked and open before the one to whom we must give an account. So you can fool people maybe a lot of the time. There are many people that have become experts in pulling the wool over people's eyes and playing a game. And some people even put on a good religious game. But in the end, you are going to stand before God. And then what Seem to be hidden will be revealed. Now the good news for Christians is that we are not under law; we are under grace. Praise the Lord. But still, we want to make sure that we're living as honest a life before the Lord as possible. And David had sunk so low that he went up into this. He went into this cover-up plan, and he's become not only adulterer but a murderer. He's broken the Torah. These two uh, laws, by the way, if you broke them in Israel, the law says you should die. Adultery and, of course, murder, you should die. So the Lord, it's his turn to send. And the Lord sent Nathan, this is chapter 12, verse 1, to David. Nathan is the prophet that had the privilege of speaking to David about the Davidic covenant. It was those famous words, The Lord will build a house for you, David. And David was humbled by those words. And Nathan had the joy as a prophet to bring good news to David, good news of great joy about the grace of God, and that the ultimate king would come through David's line. But in the life of a prophet, sometimes you get to bring a positive message, and sometimes you have to bring a corrective message and a word to pastors. I would say... As you preach through the Bible, if you make a commitment to expositional verse-by-verse teaching, it will make it unavoidable for you to deal with everything that's good and everything that's challenging. Topical preaching, I'm not against it per se, but it gives the preacher the ability to pick and choose what they want to preach on. And so you might be apt to go only towards positive passages, right? But when you go through the Bible, you get to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so on Saturday night, I never have Saturday night jitters as a pastor. What am I gonna preach on? What am I gonna preach on? I just go to the next section of the book. It simplifies my life in some ways. (laughs) Now, Nathan comes to David, verse 1, and he said, story time, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Basic story, rich man, poor man. Nathan comes with a parabolic story, a parable, if you will. Much like Jesus did in much of his earthly ministry, Jesus would teach in stories He would tell a story and bring people into the story. He was the master storyteller. But a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story to bring out truths, maybe about the kingdom of God or about the Messiah or even about the religious leadership in Jesus's day. And so Nathan comes with a story. And the story is about a rich man and a poor man. You'll notice in verse 27 at the end of, uh, chapter 11 that the time of mourning first part of the verse for Bathsheba was over she mourned for maybe as much of a month as a month but probably about a week but let me just say this to you this is something that struck me this week is god wasn't done mourning you know sometimes as people we can just find a way to compartmentalize our sin we can say okay, well, I, I've done my business, you know, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do, and so we can move on. And of course, we know that God is faithful to forgive sin. But David hasn't confessed anything. All David has done is covered up his sin, and heaven was still mourning. There's no sign that David ever mourned for Uriah. Maybe he had a wry smile as he was sitting on his throne, thinking, I got away with this. But heaven was mourning John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Write this down. This is Ezekiel 6, 9. Then those of you who escape will remember among the nations, remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. How I've been hurt. The King James says I've been broken. The New King James says I've been crushed. The NIV says I've been grieved and God is talking. By their adulterous hearts, which turned away from me and by their eyes, which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themselves in their own sight for all the evils which they have committed for all their abominations. God says, you hurt me. You say, is that possible for God to be hurt? Ephesians 4.30 says, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. The word in Greek for grieve means to hurt, to wound That's quite a thought, isn't it? Because since we are people that are under the new covenant, we know we have grace upon grace, and grace is inexhaustible, but on some level, and I'm not sure I even understand this theologically, God can be hurt by our actions. Do you get hurt by people's actions sometimes? Maybe you have an expectation. Maybe you think, you know, this person didn't remember this event, or they didn't pay attention to me, or whatever it may be. You feel wounded well, heaven feels the same and heaven was still grieving. And so Nathan's going to come and Nathan is going to use a story to be like a mirror in the life of David. You know, the word of God is like a mirror. It will show you the truth of who you are. It will look deep into you. The law is like a mirror. How many of you enjoy some mirrors more than others? I've noticed that there's certain mirrors with certain lighting where I look better than other mirrors. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Anybody out there? Yeah, so so I spend more time in front of the favorable mirrors because they make me look better. But the Word of God is a true mirror. It will show you the truth. And you may not like always what you see, On the negative side, some of the mirrors that don't have the most gracious lighting, I sometimes go, ooh, ow. I didn't see that blemish in that other mirror. I will opt for mirror A. (laughs) If I have an option. Well, here's the story. The rich man, remember we had rich man, poor man, had a great or very many flocks and herds. Now David's listening to the story. And as the king of Israel, he would be regularly in his court presented with cases. You guys remember the wisdom of Solomon, who will be his son. And people would come from far and wide to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And a king would often sit on his throne and cases would be presented to the king. And the king would make a judgment. And he even had the power of life and death in his own kingdom. So David was quite used to even the prophet coming to him. And the prophet says, the poor man, verse 3, had nothing except one little ewe lamb. That's a a baby, uh, a female baby lamb, which he bought. Notice he bought the lamb and nourished it. So he didn't have much, but he bought this little lamb, this little ewe lamb, and he took care of it. He nourished it. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup. And lie, the Hebrew is sakab, in his bosom. And was like a daughter. The word for daughter there is bath. Uh, These combinations of lie and daughter are closely associated with Bathsheba's name. Hey, folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I am going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can Refer friends to it, and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and check out the devotion today. God bless you. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup, and lie, the Hebrew is sakab, in his bosom. And was like a daughter, the word for daughter there is baf. Uh, These combinations of lie and daughter are closely associated with Bathsheba's name. The little ewe lamb, says Nathan, as he shares the story with David, was like a daughter to this poor man. It ate from the table, drank from his cup. He cuddled with it. It was like a daughter to him. Now, whenever you're hearing a story, you watch a good movie, what happens when you hear about the characters of a story, you get engaged into the story. And you can start to, especially when you're listening to a written story, you can begin to picture this family. Here they are at this table. They have this fluffy little ewe lamb, really cute and cuddly. And it eats from the table. Apparently drinks from the cup. A little gross, I don't know. <laughs> Cuddles with its master. Now, I have a little dog. Her name is Sage. She doesn't drink from my cup, but she comes relatively close because she waits for me to complete just about every meal I eat, whether it's oatmeal, cereal, vegetables, it doesn't matter. And she knows that when I get a little bit left in the bowl, I lay it down for sage. Oh, man, she, she just waits. And she is patient and cute, <laughs> cuddly. I've been fighting that cold recently. And uh, if I'm in bed and I'm not active as I normally are, she will stay at my side until I get up and move. Faithful. Do you know in Hebrew, uh, the, in the picture language, the word for dog is actually the name Caleb. And in the Hebrew picture language, it's, it means all heart. Isn't that a great definition of a dog? They are all heart. Now, I don't know about a sheep, but I'm thinking some of the same things about this little ewe lamb. So you imagine the family, they don't have much, but there they are at the table. They're smiling, laughing together. The little ewe lambs there like a daughter to this poor man. You can see the emotion the beauty, and all of a sudden Nathan introduces something else. He says, now a traveler came to the rich man, and he, the rich man, was unwilling to take from his own flock, and remember he had much, many herds, many flocks, or his herd, to prepare for the wayfarer, verse 4, middle, who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it, that means he killed it, for the man who had come to him, the traveler. The traveler. All of a sudden, you know, these happy thoughts about this wonderful picture of this family and this cute little ewe lamb. And the rich man has so much, and he gets one guess. Maybe it's somebody of importance. And instead of taking from his vast resources, he either, using his power and position and privilege, Demanded of the poor man to give him the little lamb. You can imagine the the family weeping and crying as he carried it off, almost like when the wicked witch takes Toto in the Wizard of Oz. You wicked old witch! Or maybe he stealthily sent somebody over to steal the poor little ewe lamb. Either way, it's disgusting and terrible. Just when you're picturing this beautiful family at this table who's poor but seems to have a, a great life together, this, this dastardly rich man, the, the villain in the story, all for the sake of taking care of his guests. Why didn't he take from his own flock? He had vast resources. He steals the one little ewe lamb. This guy's got no soul, no conscience. You can feel the king kind of moving off the edge of his throne. What? I mean, he was used to hearing cases, but this is terrible. At least Robin Hood stole from the rich to feed the poor. But this man stole from the poor to feed the rich. This is abominable. This is terrible. It's disgusting. And David's anger burned against the man, the rich man in the story. And he said to Nathan, the prophet, as the Lord lives. Now, it would seem that David hasn't really even invoked the name of the Lord for a while. In fact, probably as much as a year has gone by where David has suppressed the truth, tried to bury his conscience, and probably not sought the Lord at all in the last year. How could he with the dastardly deeds that he had been doing? But now, Upon hearing the story of this other man's sin, this rich man in this story, oh, David is angry. And he invokes the name of the Lord in oath-type language. By the way, Bathsheba's name means daughter of of an oath. He says, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. That man should die. And remember, uh, David's the king. He has life and death and the power of his tongue, his anger burned greatly. He was enraged. He was as mad as a mosquito in a mannequin factory. <laughs> my mother-in-law gave that to me about a week ago. I've been, just, I just kept it in my pocket for the right time. And there it is. Who was he mad at? Who was he mad at? Oh, how horrible our sin looks when someone else is doing it. See, the mirror has been held up. And David's angry, and he should be. But what he doesn't realize at this very moment is that the rich man in the story is David. The poor man is Uriah, and Bathsheba is the little ewe lamb. And David is a thief and a murderer. He stole her, When he had vast resources. He had access to the complete harem of King Saul. He had multiple wives. We know with Bathsheba, he has at least eight wives at this point. So he had seven before that. What in the world was he doing? He had everything at his fingertips. God was blessing him. And he went and stole the little ewe lamb. And David pronounces the death sentence on this man in the name of, of the Lord. As the Lord lives, look at the end of verse five, this man deserves to die. David has just pronounced his own death sentence, and he doesn't even know it. You know, Jesus talked about judging in the book of Matthew, and it's a verse that a lot of people like to quote, but I'm not sure they completely understand what Jesus was saying. Here's what he said. Do not judge lest you be judged, Matthew 7, verse 1. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly the take the speck out of your brother's eye. May I say to you, I don't know if Jesus was thinking of David at this point when he shared this, but David had a telephone pole in both his eyes. He was so blind that he could not see that he was the villain in the story. And you know, as we started this teaching in 2 Samuel 11 and moving into chapter 12, we said that 1 Corinthians 10, 6, and 11 warns us that we take heed when we read stories like this because we love to be bystanders. In fact, a famous American pastime is to play Monday morning quarterback, whether it's our football teams, and I noticed that we do have some jerseys in here this morning. Hopefully this won't cause a church split because the Steelers and the Packers are playing tonight. And uh, I will still love you either way. Uh, the game goes. But anyway, that's for another time. But David has passed judgment on himself. And he also says, verse 6, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing. And what? He had no compassion. The word compassion in Hebrew is kamal. It means he had no pity. He did not spare. He was not compassionate. Do you remember when Jesus went to the house of the wee little man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, you know, everybody was upset that Jesus went into the house of a sinner. And Zacchaeus said, I will pay back fourfold what I've taken. I will give half of my goods to the poor. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a child of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was, what? Lost. Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham, but he was lost. We have a lot of lost people in our world. And as David was angry, and he's talking of fourfold restitution, and he's, he's spoken a punishment that does not fit the crime. The law did not say if you, if you took a domesticated animal, you should die. That was not the law of Moses. You did need to make restitution, but there was no death involved in a crime like this. What's David thinking? I don't want to psychoanalyze David, but can you, can you think that maybe David is such a troubled man that he doesn't, he can't even make a sound judgment right now? You know, when we're caught up in sin and we've buried our sin, we don't make sound judgments. We don't know how to think about things because we're dealing with our own stuff. And Nathan said to David famously, you are the man. You're so angry. You you were brought into this story. You don't like what you heard. Take a look at the mirror. Take a good look. Look a little longer, David. You are that man. You gotta love Nathan the prophet because to be a prophet In this kind of setting, the king could just say, kill him. I don't like what he's sharing with me right now. I don't like this bad news. Get rid of him and everything that belongs to him. Nathan took a risk and he spoke to David very unvarnished with great force and shattering words. You are that man. David had to be devastated. You ever been shattered by the word of God? You ever maybe gotten in your car or walked into church and thought, I'm cool with God. And then one of those sword swipes, because the word of God is the sword of the spirit, hits you. And all of a sudden you got to take a look within. You got to look in that mirror that isn't your favorite mirror. And you go, "Oh. Ooh. I am that man." Oh, that changes everything because to be in a position of judgment is much more comfortable than to receive a rebuke. Now, David's greatness will be shown here because David is gonna take it like a man. You know, the Bible throughout the book of Proverbs says that there's such a thing as a life-giving rebuke. If you have a friend that tells you the truth when you're in trouble, thank God for that, friend. Don't seek out just people who tell you what you wanna hear, because you won't be healthy. You should seek out people who will speak the truth to you and speak it to you in love, And by the way, if you're on the side of giving a rebuke, we always give a rebuke in gentleness and looking to yourselves, lest you also fall. We could all fall in a microsecond. So even if we're following Matthew 18 and we have to go to someone and share the truth, we still have to share it with the honesty of knowing how we have feet of clay as well. Hey, listening family. It is so good to be on the radio sharing the Word of God and spending this time with you as we go through the power of the Bible and the power of the gospel. Hey, if you've been benefiting from these programs, we would appreciate you partnering with us through prayer. You can send an encouraging note through the website, and you can also donate to the cause. Partner with us In this work of ministry, if you're benefiting from it and you'd like to see others benefit from it, go to walkintruth.com and click on the donate button. And there you can give $25, $50, $100, whatever's on your heart, and it'll help us reach more people like you. Thanks for praying for us. Thanks for partnering with us in the greatest cause. And we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.